welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive, now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm speaking with Edwin Miller. Edwin is an experienced technical leader, a former startup founder, and currently the chief product officer at Sitka, a telehealth platform that connects primary care providers to specialists. He shares his insights on the role of technology in value-based care models and what we should be expecting from electronic health records. Enjoy. Edwin Miller, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Edwin, you, uh, full disclosure, you and I have crossed paths in our, our, our winding career. So if that comes through in the podcast, that would be uh, a feature, not a bug. Uh, and Edwin, tell us a bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I, um, I had a pretty windy path to where I am. I uh, started out as a music major actually and played professionally for a living for a while, lived on a bus and toured and played music. Um, but I also had a strong hot interest in computer science, and this was admittedly, I'm ancient, this was back in the 80s, I had a lot of, um, I did a lot of undergrad coursework in computer science, but didn't get a degree in it, and, uh, and wound up as a developer doing uh, what I called software of the week in, in my early career, so I worked at a company that just did custom software for a range of businesses like grocery stores and insurance companies and music publishers and you name it. And so I learned very quickly how to understand how a business operates and how, how to build software to support their operations and accounting. And I learned how a general ledger works and all those kind of basic things very early on. So I was very grateful for that. And then got into healthcare later and um, uh, in the early 90s. And, you know, healthcare is like Hotel California, like when you check in, but you don't check out. And right. um, it just kind of grabs hold of you. And and, and I started working on EMRs very early in the 90s, and um, I've built like five EHRs over time, uh, probably 30-something products across healthcare, ranging from, you know, EMRs to billing systems to um, tra transition of care tools to discharge planning to pharmacy. So um, that's the thing about healthcare is you can spend your whole life in it and never touch all of it. So, but uh, as, as I've always been interested in innovative business models. So I was at Athena Health, which had a, you know, a very innovative taking risk for revenue cycle very early. Um, and then that, that became copied by a lot of other companies. Right. And so I was very interested in their model. And then I helped co-found Allidade, which is where we met. And Allidade was also an interesting business model around helping independent primary care doctors stay independent all the tools and policy expertise to do that. And so I was the founding CTO there. So I've bounced around between being CTO and CPO or VP of product or whatever you want to call it in, in different companies over time. Um, and so, um, but, but mostly I've been very focused on companies that have innovative business models and are trying to be kind of more at the tip of the spear with where healthcare innovation is happening because uh, it does need to change a lot. And so I, I want to be where that change is happening. I'm I'm fascinated by threads that run through these processes and how one one innovation or one change builds on the next change to create the the next layer. It's like a step function. Um, are there any are there any recurring themes that that you've seen uh, being around so many different areas of the 
the healthcare technology universe? Yeah, um, some of these are going to sound probably boring, but you know, <laughs> one theme is um, is uh, UX or, or usability and, and design. The importance of design in these tools um, was, I think, greatly understated in the early and, and maybe even today. Um, I still believe maybe the great EHR is still out there. <laughs> it hasn't been right. built. And, uh, uh, but I think when you talk about UX, the other side of that coin is integration because part of making it usable is also having the right data at the right time. But I think at the end of the day, what the recurring theme is to help is, is to enable and amplify what physicians are doing. So, you know, some tools are, are not directly related to the phys physician's work, but they should support that at some level. So at least for me, and I've been, I've been probably in products that were closer to that world. Um, you know, if you, if you spend time with physicians and you learn how to enable and amplify what they're trying to do, then those are themes that always work. Um, and uh, so, so sometimes that turns into UX design or it turns into data or intelligence. I think another theme is, uh, or maybe this is more of a change that's happening is, is you know, make, going from these things kind of being sort of dumb repositories of data to right. being more thoughtful, but we could talk about that more. But yeah, I think, you know, I, um, you know, I, I don't know that we've lived, you know, um, played out any dreams with those recurring themes. I think physicians have, if anything, become frustrated with a lot of the tools that are out there, despite right. all of our best efforts. And, um, and so that's maybe another recurring theme is the, uh, um, is, is, is overloading people with, with too much. I often wonder whether the pace of innovation on the consumer side has made us less uh, patient in healthcare and probably other industries, you know, but we're, we're in healthcare um, than we would be otherwise, you know, I think I saw, uh, I recently read an article where they were talking about uh, why EHR implementations take so long. And the, uh, the person being interviewed had worked in the EHR industry. And he said, yes, they do take a long time. But if you look at like a large SaaS CRM implementation for a global company, it takes a long time too. Um, and so we, we hold, we now hold everything to the standard of um, consumer technology, which is admittedly at a different pace and, you know, different UI standards. Um, so it, it, I think as a physician, I would say, I think we're definitely right to not be satisfied, no, not to hang the mission accomplished banner, uh, just quite yet. Um, yeah. but we can give a, we can be, uh, uh overly self-critical sometimes too, I think on the health IT side. Yeah. It would be hard to imagine going back to paper, I think. Right. Um, but, um, you know, we have made some strides, in, but where the the things that we could not lose would be the connectivity that we've built. So right. whether that's, you know, you know uh, e-prescribing or, or getting lab results electronically or, or having um, HIEs or, you know, being able to understand, get ADT messages, hospital alerts when a patient goes to the ER and stuff like that. Those are becoming critical parts of everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're currently at a company called Sitka as the chief product officer. Is that correct? Yes. So tell, me, tell us a bit about Sitka and, and what you're working on currently as the CPO. Yeah, Sitka, is, um, Sitka operates a medical practice, a multi-specialty group that is aligned with value-based care. And we, op we create peer-to-peer -peer consults between a primary care doctor and a specialist. And so the power of that is 
um, is really around the referral process in general, which is tends to be, it's probably one of the most highly variable parts of, of primary care. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what primary care docs do, you go to two practices and you see what they do around referrals, it's going to be wildly different. Some of them have coordinators, some of them put the orders in the EMR, blah, blah, blah. Some of them just send the patient, here's here's a cardiologist's phone number, good luck, go call them and you right. up. And, and that, um, it's not great patient experience, first of all. And then in a, if you're taking risk in a value-based world, um, it's going to be a really expensive way to go. And it's, it has some interesting problems, you know, the, uh, and so, so we we try to enable a P, if a PCP wants to just ask a question of a specialist, mm -hmm. they can do that with Sitka and get a get a candid response that's not um, conflicted, uh, you know, incentive wise. Right. So the specialist is not trying to grab onto the patient and create a you know drive a bunch of extra costs. They just are trying to answer the question. So, um, so we we provide this to a lot of risk-based primary care groups or uh, even some payer-sponsored primary care organizations or ISNIP programs, things like that. And but the basic gist of it is um, we have a, a tech platform where you can do a video consult. It's asynchronous. You can ask a question. Mm -hmm. um, show you know here's a rash the patient has. Is this poison ivy or is it something worse? Here's a picture of it. Let me know, and then we have an SLA around you know super fast response time to answer that question, and um, and then so that saves the patient having to go to a term dermatologist or waiting two weeks for an appointment and all that stuff, and then the additional cost if you're in a risk-based arrangement uh, that can help. So so yeah, that's basically what Sitka does. Um, there's a lot of places where that can go, and it's interesting when you know I know from our experience at Allidade, you know the the um, Specialist cost was always something we focused on, and we we tried a lot of different initiatives around it, mm -hmm. and and we found things that worked, but we we had trouble finding things that worked across every market. Um, right. At least while I was there, and and we also it was never the most important thing, <laughs> and so there was always you know it was always important, but never number right. one priority. And so when you're when you're trying to drive clinical transformation, you're usually overloading uh, primary care docs with a bunch of initiatives and a bunch of stuff. And they, you kind of have to pick the thing that's, a, you know, one numbers one and two and three and so on. And specialist costs often would not rise to the top. So it's great, better to have a more turnkey, easy to turn on solution for that, that that's just, you don't have to think about it too hard and you don't have to train on it too hard and you don't have to, you know, because they're busy thinking about quality and risk and, and um, everything else. One of the things that I love about uh, a solution like that is it reminds me of something that anybody who's gone through a training program at an academic medical center uh, would know as like curbside consult. So, right. you know, like you don't need, and, and, and for those, for the uninitiated, um, it's sort of the distinction between having to write up a formal consult request and put a note in or put in, you know, I'm dating myself here, um, like writing it out in the chart and leaving it for, for someone else versus now in the EHR or whatever that electronic system is in, in a hospital versus a curbside where, you know, if I'm a, a internal medicine physician or a general surgeon and I have a question about gastroenterology, I see the, you know, the, the gastroenterology or GI fellow or attending the senior doctor walking past in the hallway. And, um, I say, Hey, I have a patient with X, Y, Z, right. And I give them the characteristics just enough to make a, a, a judgment on it. And it's a really collegial community driven way for physicians to interact. And, uh, I love that Sitka is tapping into that same 
sentiment um, as part of its operating model? Um, because I imagine your primary care docs and internal medicine docs and your specialists, that's very familiar with them. Like it gets to those, you know, the recesses of their brain that is used to interacting with other physicians that way. Yeah, I've heard them say, you know, I remember how to do a case presentation, you know. And then, right. Um, um, uh, we do have a, we're piloting a, a synchronous mode with Sitka, which is a, which is a real-time conversation um, as opposed to the asynchronous email style um, model. And the synchronous is more, is definitely more like a curbside where, you know, you just get on and you talk and, and um, right. that kind of thing. It's, uh, I mean, we do, we do write down what they say and the answer and that kind of thing. And they, they usually would upload that into the medical record. So it is part of that, but it's not, it's, it's not as formal as, as what you were describing. And I, now you're as the chief product officer at a, a growing company, uh, what's, what falls under your remit or what doesn't fall under your remit? I, I guess I should ask for, for you yeah, and the other um, leadership team. I mean, yeah, boy, that's a good question. Um, so I, I don't know if you're asking like kind of what does the CPO do in general, but um, you know, what I, I run, you know, I run product, quote unquote, product mm -hmm. at Sitka is more broad than just the tech platform because it's the entire soup to nuts experience that a PCP would have with us. And so it's making sure the question get, you know, we, they know how to ask the question that they get the answer back and there's a tech platform aspect of that. But, but um, as you probably know from, I, I know from your work at Allidade, a lot of what you were doing was trying to apply all this stuff to, you know, day-to-day -day clinical care. And that is where, that's where this stuff is usually really hard. And, right. Um, it's, it's, you know, even in the case of special, you know, we have like, I don't know, 19 or so special specialties in our mix and we can, we can create a, a doctor can look at that and see slide. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Dermatology. I know what that is. And here's the conditions I would, and then, but then the first patient that gets in front of them that has a case, that's a real thing that they have to think about, right. they have to think about, okay, how would I use Sitka for this or, or anything really? Mm -hmm. um, and how would I apply this in the clinical care versus what I used to do in fee for service? It's a very hard, that's a big leap and it takes some practice and and that's why with all the value-based initiatives it takes time for these things to get sort of routinized into the clinical care of the patient applying them to the clinically applying them is much harder and greatly underestimated um, um, so that that's where you know the, it, it just takes time in most of these digital health value-based businesses, there's still a ton of discovery going on. And so it's not like, you know, you're just trying to copy 10 other companies doing the same thing, which would be like the consumer. Right. You know, there's, there's not, you know, this is still a lot of um, discovery and, and experimentate, getting really good at experimentation and pilots and knowing how to fail fast and, and uh, knowing how to set up your stack so that you can you know, so that it, it enables you to move fast and adjust and you don't get married to the thing that you're doing. And, right. you know, um, and, and so it is a very different mindset than, you know, maybe we're going to go build a humongous CRM or something. And, you know. and how does the tech stack, like, what about the tech stack capabilities support that? Have you found? Um, I'm going to say this as a product person, what I would look for, like, you know, what I would expect the CTO to do. Um, is to create a high degree of automation um, that allows the team to kind of build on a trusted platform so that the team is working on the margin of the business value they're trying to create and not going back and rethinking like what we do last year. And, you know, like, you know, so there's, I think the art for the CTO is what decisions that we make early on are long lasting versus which ones can we change later? 
and that's a kind of an art. Um, but I think in the the tech stack, you know, as you know, in, in cloud technologies, I mean, the tech stack is uh, like eighty percent of the product. I mean, is right. you know, a lot of it is is being delegated to the stack and to automation and to the tools. And and so if you're you know where you're just building the code that is sort of bespoke for what you're trying to do, um, I think that. Um, and I think, you know, I'll say this as a consumer of these technologies and maybe not the most sophisticated one, the, the platform innovation is always going faster than our ability to consume it. And so there's always more, more stuff out there that, you know, that we could use that we are not using, which is, I guess, great, you know, from a, if you're, you know, building these platforms. I, you know, I, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. I've seen this cycle be five years or so, like it seems like things kind of change like if you started a did a startup in 2009, I was in one there. We used AWS like very early, and it was still kind of like we had some co-location and then AWS a mm -hmm. little bit. There was no automation, not you know maybe a little bit. And then then we started Alley in 2014. I would say a much higher degree of automation and and squarely in the cloud. Start a company in 2021, it's going to be di you know different than that. Right. And um, you know you didn't have containers back then, and you know some of the other technologies you have now, and maybe not as much automation. Um, so I'm kind of curious how you guys look at that, actually. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a big part of our mission, automating those processes like data is where it shows up a lot, um, yeah. automating the ingestion, the the normalization, standardization and in industry, uh, industry standard formats. Um, and that gets us like if you think of that tech stack piece that gets uh, provides the empowerment, the ability to do machine learning and other uh, sophisticated right. analytics, which gets you to that next next layer uh, of abilities. And you know, our the the phrase that we use here all the time at AWS is uh, removing the undifferentiated heavy lifting. And I think right. that is what's included in that shifts. You know, like I think that you know, as you said, uh, a lot of the we want you all to be able to focus on adding value at the right. physician level, at the patient level, um, using the interpretation of the analytics um, and not worried about the what the uh, server utilization is gonna be to do the compute and storage to, to drive those analytics. And so, um, right. you know, part of what I love about your trajectory is um, you've seen that whole spectrum, right? That whole, all those cycles yeah. that have come through and they're not, you know, you're a, a young guy, uh, it's not, been that long you know like this is not um <laughs> i don't you know. think it, it doesn't feel like that long to me for sure. right yeah and and and, and uh, you know interestingly i um i think a lot spend a lot of time with other folks in and around the value-based care space and it's an even tighter timeline for value-based care uh and so it's we're still in like the 1.5 version of these things oh uh, it's, uh, a, it's right? a generational timeline probably yeah yeah it's um, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, uh, you know, like going through different phases of like from startup to growth to, you know, being a big company, I probably have less experience in the, in the established huge company model, although I spent some time at, at, at one Fortune 18 company. I think that, you know, in a startup, it's, you can go super fast, you can make decisions with speed, you, you're, but you're more siloed and you can, you can make all the decisions you want, but your impact's going to be small. And and so you're doing, and, and as a, maybe a founding CTO or CPO, you're doing a lot of the work yourself. You're just a lot of doing, 
not a lot of anything else. And and you expect to make quick decisions and high velocity, and it feels great in a way, but it's not. But your impact is not that, that great. You know, when you get the growth stick, and, and what you got to lay the foundation for then is those decisions around, you know, which I expect like would be more of a CTO thing is like making sure everything is measurable, making sure that everything's instrumented, making sure that you may not know how you're going to use the data, but making sure you're getting it early on. So that when you reach growth stage, now you need to use the data more, and you need you, you probably have more sense of what the questions are that you want to answer. But you know, but but if you didn't get the data early on, those can be hard to you know recover from. And so, but at growth stage, you get better at pilots. You get better. You have to you're building right. an experimental ex experiment platform. How do we, you know, how do we create a pipeline of things that we want to test and and try and. And you're doing less doing, more leading, more, you know, continuing to build a team and all that stuff. And your timeframes kind of change, you know, in the early days, your timeframe is like, you know, one month or three weeks or, you know, something like that. But you, you move into longer, you know, maybe a year or six months or something like that. And then, and then, uh, and, and again, you're just transitioning from doing to leading and, and hiring and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the difference, the CTO thing is more like create the stack that can adapt to change automate away grunt work so that the team can focus on the marginal, what you call the differentiated part of what you do and, and be a check and balance on scope and, and the business and that kind of thing. The, the, the CPO side is more obsessing about the customer and, and don't back down on, on when the tech team wants you to compromise that because of their implementation choices. And, and, uh, but you have to know where that matters. And, and you also kind of need to know what's coming and, and forcing discipline on the business around around prioritization and scope and, and minimizing whip as it were. That kind well, of thing. So, yeah. One of the interesting things that you, you referenced there is what we would think of at Amazon as one way versus two way doors, like understanding when a decision yeah. is going to be a big, a one way door. Like you go through this and the door shuts behind you versus things that are essentially reversible, even if there's some pain involved. Right. And it sounds like what you're saying is, particularly the early stages, the interaction between the, the CTO, CPO, even if they sometimes are the same person, is yeah. having as many two-way doors as you can and understanding where those are and understanding like when a one-way door comes, just like any other business, that's a decision. Like that's a real decision and you have to take it a little bit slower and don't let the pacing of the startup environment get ahead of your strategic thinking of, of, identifying those two-way doors and going through them to, to try things to, and also, you know, to mix metaphors a bit, I've always thought about it. It really is like a not burning bridges thing. Like when you were talking about data utilization or data formatting or whatever that looks like at an early stage, even if you're not going to use it early, you want to be able to use it at the growth stage or later. So you don't want to burn that bridge uh, right. as you, as you get there. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the the funny thing is, it's hard to, especially in a new discovery kind of mode, like a lot of these businesses are. You you can't see around corners all the time, and so you, what looks obvious in retrospect was a mystery when you were <laughs> was starting out. And right. So, you know, like we had, I mean, I had this experience that you know, like we needed to build a, a work list, and so we built a work list, and that's a simple thing. Mm -hmm. And we needed another work list, and so we built another work list, and and then after a while, you know, maybe we had another you know, work list three, four, and five, you realize, oh, we need a work list engine. 
right. and it's configurable and we can reuse it. But you don't know that when you built the first one. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in the case of workless, you might, but but I'm just using it as an example. Like you, it's hard to see around the corners of where you're going to have opportunities for reuse and where the data is going to go and what you're going to need to measure sometimes because you just need to have a greedy algorithm around just building stuff and iterating and getting feedback. But to your point, without the key, the both sides need to create two way two way doors. Like it's um. You know, and, and not lock yourself into something. Um, and you know, and I, I've seen if you reach a point where you have maybe delayed some of those things too long, then it becomes almost a company killer because you have to change the, such a such a foundational part of your platform that it's you know it's no one wants to do it, <laughs> and it's a high business risk at that point. And given your experience, your deep experience on the electronic health record side. Hum a few bars for me on the, the where where does the with, with your music background where does the the where does the electronic health record fit in this like how do you see it evolving like I think as you referenced any of us who've interacted uh, with a, a, an electronic health record or or EHR um, and then worked in the health IT space I think fantasize in the nerdiest way about doing it <laughs> doing it very differently you know, you're one of the few people that has the the chops to actually do that um well, but like the, what's the snapshot now versus where you where you the, see the problem now? with so the i mean one of the one of the main problems with emrs in general is that they're they're firmly rooted in the original sin of healthcare which is fee-for-service medicine right so they're they're based on encounters and like i got a patient in front of me i'm going to chart what happened and maybe I, I need to review the record of all the things that have happened before in a sensible way and that kind of thing so that i mean that's fine but it's, it's episodic and it's not longitudinal. And so as, as you start to think about taking risks for patients and understanding the whole patient, it has to go from this, I think it goes from episodic to longitudinal, it goes from siloed to integrated with the rest of the care community and all the data that needs to happen and what really needs to happen. I think it goes from being a, what I would call from being a word processor to being a second brain. I don't know if you're familiar with things like Rome Research or something like that, which are basically graph databases of mm -hmm. node, like, you know, of all your knowledge, right? I think that I think the next generation EHRs would actually be more of a knowledge graph around here's a patient. This patient has problems. Those problems came from, you know, these social determinants causes and, and they map to other resources in the community. And here, oh, and there's a hospitalization and an event that happened. And there's all these things are linked together in a way that you need to be able to reason about and you're using the computer as a as the storage for that graph so that you can pick out of it what you need to do when you're when you have something happen with the patient right and and, and that allows you to maybe practice optimized medicine as opposed to riffling through a bunch of you know encounters and lab results and you know whatever it's it's um which is forcing you to use your brain to organize and and categorize all that data and then make sense of it. So I think that where where that where the EHR could go is about being smarter and not just being sort of a dumb repository of data. And um, and you know, there's also some things you could be smarter about, just like even remembering what you told it and why you told it that and what you're doing when you last left this patient and the context that you were in. So so, uh, but that, that's my thoughts on, you know, maybe the next EHR startup. Well, that's, uh, I'm going to, we're going to save this in the archive. So we know when you, <laughs> when you, when you, many years from now, and this is uh, when, when, when you're uh, looking at new opportunities, potentially. Um, so, you know, you've, you've been, you've been around 
startups and growth stage and, and, and various stage companies, venture backed um, and, and the whole the whole spectrum. What's what advice do you give to, to founders or entrepreneurs who are who are coming into the space? Um, if you're new to healthcare, you know, I mean, you're welcome to come in. It's just super hard and it's harder than you think. Um, and don't get discouraged. I think, you know, someone told me once, uh, so I had, I came into a team that was building an EMR and I was more, I had built EMRs before, but that team had not. And one of the things, one of the executives told me this, that the best thing you did for this team was help them understand that it was ultimately going to be okay. <laughs> so, so I think like you're going to get there, you know, it's, um, and I, so, so I think seeing that arc and not getting freaked out is important. And I think the importance of people and relationships and working through disagreements and, and, and having a high EQ is, a, is probably super important because all of this stuff is, we talk about technology all the time, but all of this work is done by humans and it's about human interactions and projects fail more often because of people issues than they do for technical issues. And, and so um, it's, those early hires are super critical. Um, and having skepticism within your team and all that kind of stuff is important. I don't know. None of these are things that are like, go find the right widget and go right. get funding and that kind of thing. But as I've watched, you know, the investors I've worked with, you know, those are the things that ultimately that's what it comes down to. And obviously, you know, being high integrity and coming into healthcare for being on what I call being on the right side of history right. is, is super important and knowing what that is, you should know that before you get into healthcare. Because if you're just trying to play arbitrage and find some loophole or some regulatory place where you can make a bunch of cash for a while, you should understand that that hole is going to close up and, you know, the, the system would heal itself around whatever anomalies there are. So um, what, you know, the companies I've admired have always been on the right side of history, doing the right thing for patients, doing, helping providers amplify what they're trying to do and why they wanted to practice medicine in the first place and what, what society needs in this, I think, you know, the companies I admire have been that way. And um, so, and then there's a lot of companies that are where one man's waste is another man's revenue. And it's just, you know, that's how it goes. Right. And to your point, you know, we are at the early stages of shifting to value-based care. And you'll see there's a lot of startups right now starting, you know, spinning up like risk-based primary care networks and things like that. And it feels like if you're in this business and you read the news all the time, you're like, man, how many more of these can there be? But the truth is there could be a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about, you know, hundreds of thousands of primary care docs that are out there now doing this, um, that are mostly in fee-for-service today, even the ones who are in risk contracts, there's still a huge a wave of change that can happen. And so there's, there, there's huge opportunity there. Edwin Miller, Chief Product Officer at Sitka. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. As always, great discussion and uh, glad to be working with you again. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.